When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mugraga Danganhu, Lada Wakahu, a Kyanti and Varagi, Hogmahu Laragut, Hogmakri Tanavut, Daily Sum Kharadlat, his father Valilat, his Dusa Norivatrach, Kurish Parlu saw Yalagum, Rurnana Omrakahum, Baku saw Yargahum, Breaky or Gapahum, Rosta Ervaravum, Mart or Yagahum, Kulla Gluv Lachandum, Gudirkan Tatra, Maharish Dodanahum. My steadfast love, when I saw you one day by the market house gable, my eye gave a look, my heart shone out. I fled with you far from friends and home, and never was sorry. You had parlours painted, rooms decked out, and ovens reddened, and loaves made up, roasts on spits, and cattle slaughtered. I slept in duck down till noon time came, or later if I liked. Mughraahugadangan. Is Irish Susid Hassif, is Tarlantaina Valle, Gugurum Marta Lega, Gunglimer Kosher Arshing, Gameagang Kyola Sprague, Gugoro Dichelaba, Fe Varlini Gala, Fe Hultina Braha Brake, Awani Asad Alish, and Onodanukta Glachish. My steadfast love, arise, stand up, and come with myself, and I'll have cattle slaughtered, and call fine company, and hurry up the music and make you up a bed with bright sheets upon it and fine speckled quilts to bring you out in a sweat where the cold has caught you. Hi gang, hope you're all happy and healthy as can be. Would you believe it, episode 150 is coming up and it's going to be a mailbag special. We would absolutely love to hear from you for this. If you'd like to take part, please send us a voice note on WhatsApp at the following number. Plus 353-89-478-4713. You never know, we might include it and discuss it on the show. You can also find a link in the show notes. And now for the show. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to Mother Folklore, a podcast of words, Irish. Irish words and words from Ireland. I am beloved pod dad, author, columnist, Dara Roche. I'm Patrick Ivanic. I'm sometime <laughs> contributor Garotine McAvoy from the cupboard, from Narnia. Um, yeah, I, re- I refuse, to I des- refuse to describe myself. Don't give in to the hype. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah, give I into the hype. I covered wasn't prepared woman. to describe myself. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes you just need you need to drag yourself out of the, the, the depths of misery and just remind yourself you've occasionally accomplished things. <laughs> <laughs> on, All right. On occasion, uh, I'm yeah. I'm living vicariously through your podcast, so no, I'm not going to subscribe to that. <laughs> <laughs> very well it is um well yeah there, there, there's there's weeks and there's days and you know they, they say it was days are long and years are short but it feels like it's been a long few months and years but a one of the things that's been cheering me up and hopefully lots of you up is that there's an awful lot of good stuff coming out at the moment in particular september and october in ireland are big months for the books that want to be considered for the Irish Book Awards and for the Christmas market all the, get released on go. There's a slew of really interesting art books coming out at the moment. The books want oh, to been, be con- the books want to be considered for awards, do they? They do. They just look up at you and they look, oh, oh author, well, author, can you please con- consider me for an award? 
<laughs> well, that too. I mean, I think generally there's there's a there's a rush towards in in early December the Irish Book Awards happen, and the books that tend to be considered for it are you, um, like I'd say, maybe seventy five percent of them are released in the previous two months. Ah. I did not know that, but that it makes just, perfect sense. You always so get one that in your stocking, don't you, from an, an ant or something that has a sticker on it, considered for whatever price, you know? It's like mm. Oscar season then, is it? Yeah. It's like, a, it's a lot. It's it, like it, when they release films towards the end of the year, uh, not just to get the Christmas market, but so there's a buzz about them in the run-up to the Oscars. This is it, and they, this is why they say that maybe they should have a summer Oscars and a winter Oscars so that they, they spread out the good films throughout the year, because it does it's terrible that all the kind of high quality dramas are competing with each other, whereas you'd, you'd, be, you'd be grateful of some of them earlier on in the year. But yeah, all you get during the summer is those uh, rom-coms and Marvel films. Yeah, oh, yeah the, summer the blockbusters. So, there's mm. the term, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He was a man. She was a woman. Oh my God! Amazing. Fund it now. Give it all of the money right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it, get this. She's a woman. She's very interested in her career, and then she meets a rascally lad, and then she realizes, oh, maybe, maybe my career isn't everything. Maybe I should settle down and produce children for this man. It was Starring called Catholicism. <laughs> and Paul ding, Rudd. Ding. I love Paul Rudd, though. I love, I would watch anything with Paul Rudd in it. Yeah. I would I watch like Catherine Hegel as well. Yeah, I pro- would probably watch Paul Rudd and Catherine Hegel reading cereal boxes. Well, yeah, um, they'd have great chemistry, I'd say. I do think Twenty Seven Dresses is underrated. It got a lot of criticism at the time for the old obsession with weddings, but I think as a, it's a it's a, an entertaining film compared to some other. Like, and I think you know the because rom com the outcomes are predetermined. You the actual writing has to be good to keep you interested. Is 27 Dresses the one with your man who pretends to be Irish that time, the Scottish fella? Is that not no. the I love you? No, you're, yeah. you're, thinking, you're thinking of The Perfect Match. Oh, that's no, awful. No, no, The Perfect Match is the one with Jimmy Fallon. Sorry, the one, uh, there's, there's one no, with, with that, Jared Butler the, and Catherine Hegel. Isn't that The and, Perfect Catch with Jimmy Fallon? Oh, yes, that's how Six months later. I would watch a rom-com where Jared Butler was dead the whole time. Isn't that the opposite of the point of P.S. I love you? No, that is P.S. I Love You, isn't it? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's dead in P.S. I Love You. That's hello, so hello, bad. me darling. Me and me stupid accent are brown bread. Do you know what I hate most about it? Do you know what my, my least favourite? I watched it one time. Only oh. one time, because that's a mistake you only make once. And <laughs> at the very end of it, she goes off to Ireland with her mam, maybe. Yeah. And like they go to some farm and... There's a farmer on the farm, and so obviously, and somebody, I think it's her mom, drops a box of chocolates, and he goes, oh, you dropped your sweets, and I hate it. I don't know what it is, but I hate <laughs> it so much. I don't know why I hate that particular thing. It sounds like slime for something, doesn't it? Oh, it's, it, just, it just makes my skin crawl. I hate it. I hate it so much. Awful. So for instead of um, romantic comedies of this nature, you'd be more interested in a powerful intense um uh female perspective dr- dramatic love yeah, poem revenge fantasy that's what revenge I fantasy love poem yeah from a from a formidable woman who has a rivalry with her um with her husband's sister <laughs> yeah i'm into that i'm down with that but but a formidable woman from the perspective of a woman not a formidable woman like like men who write romantic novels write formidable women do you know those kind of like oh formidable yeah women? yeah the, the ones who um, she breasted boobily down the stairs those women yeah formidable <laughs> you know not a manic pixie dream girl she does not have large eyes and didn't know she was beautiful but is conventionally righty like not like what's that movie where she takes down her hair and takes off her glasses and everyone's like wow she's beautiful all oh, of no, the films it's all, all movies <laughs> <laughs> that's all the films yeah but, so not that film but the one where she takes control of the narrative I'm into that and we this is one of the, the, the things we're going to be talking about today as I mentioned at the top there there's a lot of interesting books at the moment perhaps none more so, so exciting than Dereny Griffa's new book called A Ghost in the Throat which deals with her the author's um, I guess have fascination with the poem Queen of Artillery Queen of Artillery The Lament of Artillery as sometimes translated and how and her journey to discover who this who this woman was who wrote this poem regarded by many as the greatest in the English or Irish in the 18th century 
And one of the, in the very beginning of the book, she comes up with the, the opening line is, this is a female text. It is not, to the, fro- the ferocity of this woman is not there to thrill and to delight dudes. And she's not like a conquest. She is telling a story from her own perspective, the whole gamut of feelings. Garajin, what is Queen of Cartolera? Yeah, well, the Queen is this, you say it's like, it's a poem in a sense. It's not written. It's So it's a, it's from the, the, oral tradition and the way that it would have been traditionally passed on was was by word of mouth. I think it wasn't written, or at least the first um, uh, cataloguing of it wasn't until like 30 years after it was initially composed by um, the protagonist in the the poem, um, Eileen Dove. And it's a poem about... So this is the the wife of a fairly... uh, famous at the time uh, man and outlaw who lived in Cork and they lived outside McCroom uh, Eileen and Art and it's a story of a, a murder and of death and of heartbreak and loss and then also revenge and then you have these themes of it's really it's a really long poem it's like five stages in it and it has uh, themes of like uh, you know conflict between two families because these were two kind of star-crossed lovers who weren't supposed to be together and their families didn't agree with them being together but uh, fell in love and then Art O'Leary had gotten uh, in a row shall we say with a Brit and uh, he ended up getting killed and it's this really dramatic um, story where this horse arrives without a rider to Eileen Dove's house and then she knows her husband has been killed and she goes to see him and she drinks his blood and she demands revenge from the man who's murdered her husband Um, and yeah so like we were saying it's it's a really profound poem because you know Ireland has this tradition of like famous writers and like it, we're known for our literary tradition but they're all men right <laughs> you know when you talk about yeah. Irish literary uh, greats you talk about Joyce you talk about Beckett you talk about Yeats um, you know and they're all wonderful in their own way well except Yeats who you know notified creep um, and we've <laughs> talked about that before guys um, but uh, you know they've all <laughs> they've all got this fame and then there's this probably one of the, like you said one of the most famous poems of that time written or shall we say performed by a woman from the perspective of a woman about her feelings so you have so many stories of of heartbroken women right it's the story of a heartbroken woman isn't new of a woman who's who's had her lover taken from her um and her being sad about that but this is in such a, a raw way i find it so wonderful because you have not only is she heartbroken, she's angry. She's so, so angry of what has happened. And she's distraught by that anger. And it's it's raw and it's pure. And it's not in this sort of twee, dainty little, oh, I'm going to faint at the sight of blood. No, Eileen Dove's like, I'm drinking that blood because I'm a hardcore bitch. <laughs> and Morris, I'm coming for me. Like, you better, yeah. you better watch your back, Morris, essentially. That's the guy who killed her husband. Oh, um, Morris. Yeah, Morris was- getting the bin. Yeah, it was Peter Levi who was the professor of poetry at Oxford University who said that it was the the single greatest love poem written in these islands, meaning Britain and Ireland, in the last 200 years when he said it. And it is, I mean, raw doesn't come anywhere near describing mm. the sheer passion, sheer unbridled passion. And I suppose the one thing that, that you need to consider is that medieval Irish poetry, the great Irish poetic tradition, the female voice and the female gaze was not a unique concept because poets would often write uh, tributes to their their local petty kings or chieftains and they would write it from the point of view of the land and the king was the husband of the land. So you end up with great medieval poetry like Avrin O'Rourke, Moroa Lanon, uh, Brian O'Rourke, My Choice of Lovers. That's it. Those are things written by male poets but from a female point of view. But this one, written as it was in the 18th century, after the fall of the Gaelic aristocracy, so you didn't have these caste poets anymore. You know, anybody could be a poet. You didn't have to be an O'Higgin or an O'Rahala. You, you, anybody could be a poet. So Eileen Dove wrote this poem, and yes, it's from the female point of view, and it's from, and it, it's indicative of the female gaze. But it's actually real. It's not. It's not pretend in the yeah. slightest. It's real. She genuinely, madly and truly loved Art O'Leary. She had an arranged marriage 
when she was 15 and he he barely lasted mm-hmm. six months he died um and so she <laughs> she married again uh she fell in love with Arthur O'Leary she was 23 or 24 he was 20 uh and she just said I'm having oh. a bit of that uh and um yet it was a tremendous love a huge massive disagreement from her family Wintry Connell of Derry Nan in in County Kerry uh, like these this is fucking royalty like she she's from like she Eileen Dovney Connell is an aunt of Daniel O'Connell like these this is some of the most important people in that part of the country at the time so she's uh, you know from ridiculously good family and she falls in love with this guy who's a, a fucking outlaw like Arthur Leary uh, who was a captain in the Hungarian Hussars um, and was basically off gallivanting across Europe fighting in other people's wars because he was an adventurer yeah. and you know it was it was very much disapproved of but Jesus she loved the bones of him and when he was eventually killed um, you just get that that raw passion in what she has to say and it, I mean it is I mean this is a sexy poem I know he's dead so it's kind of weird but this is a very mm. very sexy poem it is yeah, there's anger, there's pain, there's love, there's horn. Like it's 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 a wild ride, and like it was censored as well for for because some of the people who initially wrote it were were members of the uh, clergy, and they were like, oh, "That's too sexy, got to take some of it out." So you know you're doing well when the clergy are like, "Absolutely not." <laughs> they they just say, they read the poem, they enjoy it, and they say, "No, no one else can enjoy that." Yeah, <laughs> no one else can. I've I've read it. I've had. I've no, had my no one phone. else can read. Now it. I'm going to censor all, <laughs> censor yeah. all the boobs and willies and all of the rest of it. Yeah, the muscles <laughs> rippling under his Hungarian officer uniform as he rode through yeah. town upon a horse that resembled him. I think my favourite part of the fact that her family weren't into it. I like to tell. Yes, he was from. He was a nobody essentially, or uh, you know. Uh, a fella off. He he's the guy in what's that song? Oh my god, the Wild Rover. Oh, yeah. He's your man in the Wild Rover. <laughs> this one who goes away. Yeah. Hmm. Um. But uh, you know, he's a, a general pop, and all the women are mad about him because he's a big ride. But I think my favorite interpretation of that is her family are from Kerry. He's from Cork, and they're like, absolutely <laughs> not. No, not marrying a man from Cork. <laughs> Hmm. He's from where? McCrim? Absolutely. Think not. This, do you know what they do in Cork? Do you know what they do in Cork? They boil they boil drishine and milk and tripe and eat sheep's stomachs turned inside out. Derek, we need to have an intervention with you, particularly not content with riling up people of Dublin over a coddle. You you bring wrath upon the people of Cork for Drasheen, okay? I won't have it. It's, I won't have this disrespect. It's true. I, I mentioned Drasheen on, on Twitter on Wednesday morning, just casually came up in conversation, and that afternoon Cork people made me deactivate the account. Casu- I love how he says casually came up in conversation as though he didn't start it. Like, <laughs> as though you didn't fire the first shot. Derek has force-fed more people, Drisheen and Coddle, than anybody in Dublin or Cork could ever have wanted. I just I just have to, you know, one of your responsibilities as a podcaster is, you know, to tell the truth, uh, hold a mirror, hold a mirror up that to, to the world, let them realise what they really like, and they are boiled in weird thick soup. Derek, have you have you had Drasheen? Yes. And? Not really. I prefer black pudding. Yeah, it's fucking manky, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I swear, the next time we do a live show on Cork, there's going to be a mob outside the English market. With They're going to have their O'Flynn sausages and pudding on top of pikes waiting for oh, us. I am, and it's going to be your fault. Actually, I'm down for that because the last time we did a live show in Cork, I made sure to turn up in Cork early so I could get to the English market and have an O'Flynn sausage because it's oh, actually worth the journey. So I'm down for that. So long as they keep their crew beans and their drishine away from me. That's it. But look, I don't think it was anything to do. Like, it wasn't about what Art O'Leary ate. Um, The the, the thing is, like, the O'Connells of Derry Nan were on the up. They were the rising uh, stock in the area. Um, Daniel O'Connell, of course, being the most famous of them, one generation after Eileen Dove and her 21 brothers and sisters. Um, But the, the thing about it is she was supposed to marry... 
you know, she she was originally married to an O'Connor from Fiery. She was supposed to marry one of the good families to help the the to help the O'Connells. Um, to help them rise in the world. And instead, mm. she fell in love with this guy who's from the old aristocracy. He's one of the O'Learys, the old kings, and they're just there, the past. Yeah. They're nothing to do with the future. They're not They're not parliamentarians. He's still off fighting for Catholic armies across Europe. He's not getting with the program, running for parliament and trying to repeal the penal laws. He's off fucking shooting his musket all over Hungary. Like, <laughs> this guy is not the future. But my God, was he a right. Is that a line in the poem? Shooting his musket all over Europe. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Like yeah. The, fifth, like the fifth stanza. <laughs> so, so like, where it all came to is when you, he had returned and that the penal laws are in place and many of these laws, and the fact that they were called penal laws is interesting that, generally speaking, most most countries, the idea is they, that there's that, but there's, but with most countries and their legal systems, there's a presumption of fairness in that they, the people enforcing the laws like to imply that they're based on some sort of reason. But the penal laws were almost, the way they were written, they actually, they almost expected people to break them and they were written in a tone as this is what happens if you break this law or when you break this law. It, they were, they, they were intentionally unfair. And one of the yeah, ways... Yeah, well, they, they were there to subjugate Catholics. Like that was the that was the idea it was it was it was to subjugate Catholics because at the time the vast majority of Gaelic Irish were were Catholics and the vast majority of those who were in support of the Crown forces were not they were Protestant so you ended up having penal laws that would mean that no um, no Catholic could hold the office of magistrate no Catholic could be a lawyer. Um, Catholics had to, um, they had to split up all of their property between all living children, as opposed to the the mm. Protestants who were allowed to pass it along on lines of primogeniture to one person so that the estates could remain intact. Mm-hmm. And tellingly, for this story, um, no Catholic was allowed to own a horse valued at over five pounds. So when Art O'Leary comes back from the wars, on his fine Hungarian cavalry steed, and like, bear in mind, a military horse, a destrier, as they're known, those were the fucking Ferraris of their day. Like, a rich man would own a horse, but, I mean, this was this was a weapon of war. This was the finest horse. This horse was trained as a soldier and had saved O'Leary's life on more than one occasion. Um, like, this horse could... They could do mad shit for horses. But, of course, because... Um, because no Catholic is allowed to own a horse worth more than a fiver, the local sheriff, Abraham Morris, went along and demanded that O'Leary sell him the horse for a fiver, because it couldn't be worth any more. So, you know, O'Leary declined, and he actually challenged Morris to a duel, uh, and Morris declined the duel, because he was a a coward. He was a coward. And then he persuaded his fellow magistrates to proclaim O'Leary an outlaw who could be legally shot on sight, tracked him down with a bunch of soldiers. O'Leary went on the run, took took to the hills, but they caught up with him uh, at uh, Carriganima um, on the 4th of May, 1773, and Morris gave the order to fire. The first shot, the shot that killed Art O'Leary, was fired by a soldier called Private Green. Um, so a coroner found Morris and the soldiers guilty, but... He submitted himself for a trial among the Cork magistrates, of which he was one. <laughs> and of course, because no because no Irish Catholic could be a magistrate or a lawyer, um, he was found not guilty, which is just... Of course just, he was. Course he, he went to was. court among his mates. Like, yeah. They're all like, no, that was grand. Yeah, did you get the horse? So in this sense, you could almost see um, Queen Carta, Queen Arthur as a as a an ancestor of fuck the police and other rap songs about injustice like that. If fuck the police had a a verse or two about riding, I mean, does it? I don't know. I'm now... I don't know. I don't know the lyrics to it. So mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you. But does it have a verse about drinking blood? I mean, you I'm know, not sure. It 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 is all the poor for not having it. Yeah. 
So the but th- doesn't that story make you wonder? Again, we've said it like a million times on this, but like, man, that'll make a great film. Like, what? A summer blockbuster? Hello? Like, that'd be a great one. I'd go well, and see that. It's a great play. Yeah. When Lisa Cohen was, I I was on this podcast last year, she actually used the very words that, well, she said was describing specifically Darren Griffith's book, Ghost in the Throat. And she said it was Notes to Self meets Poldark, was how she pitched it. And all, while also mentioning she did that, Darren didn't approve of that description. <laughs> did you ever read Queen of Archilera in school? Did I ever? It's freaking awesome. <laughs> um, so sure, my son is par- partly named after it. Oh, of course he is. Mm-hmm. Him and, and Art Spiegelman as well. Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Artin Beg. Artin Beg. Um, on luck. So, Dearne Grefa, a very accomplished poet, a mm. uh, member of Estona, winner of many awards, has written a prose book, uh, her first. Um, and it's about how she was a bit obsessed with the poem, uh, The Lament for Art O'Leary. For anybody who doesn't know it, I would absolutely Google it. It's really metal, mm. really exciting. It is horse gallops to the door woman hops on the horse brings her to her dead husband he's been shot by the dreaded Brits and she falls to her knees drinks his blood in handfuls and composes an epic poem about her love for him and how sexy he was and how intertwined they were and it's fresh and exciting and um, so this is 18th century and um Dieran got really interested in this poem and she, as a poet, encounters this this other woman who is a poet. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of makes her think about her own writing process and what she's trying to achieve. She becomes obsessed with Eileen Dunichanil, who wrote it, because we know her through the men in her life. We know yeah. her about, you know, because she's married to Art. We know that she was Daniel O'Connell's auntie. Um, we can find evidence of her sons and grandsons' uh, lives. But her the, the knowledge around her kind of drops off uh, in her later life. So Darren becomes obsessed with tracking her down and finding her voice and sort of bringing it back. She embarks on translating the poem as she goes as well. And um, so the question, it's a bit of a detective story. Does mm. she find her and, and what happens along the way? And I am very crude and I don't think Darren will appreciate my saying this, but I've been telling people it's like Notes to Self meets Paul Dark. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's beautiful. Mm. It's uh, dramatic, exciting. You don't have to speak a word of Irish. She talks about it, but um, she, and she'll refer to stuff, but everything's in English and she will talk um, about problems around Irish words in it. Um and um, there's a few phrases through but um, context is explained and everything. So you could give this as a gift, but I think it is a thrilling, exciting book and that's going to be early 2020. But it definitely, I mean, the, the, amount of, um, the, the amount of drama and passion and rivalries in this story. You, know, you have this woman with this rivalry with his family, with his love of this man, uh, love of the horse, her, and as well as her, she was pregnant at the time as well when he had died. Yeah. She's carrying her t- carrying his child, yeah. And then yeah. Ma- Morris and Green were marching around the town like cock of the walk. You know they, these things unlikely to end well. There's just it, it's it's it has the makings of a great film or a great soap opera. Yeah, but it's just so wonderful that like it's unfortunate. I know this is the reason why uh, during the grief I wrote her book. But like if you Google anything, if you research Eileen Dove. It's all about like if you I, I, even before we came on, I just scanned through her Wikipedia page, and about seventy percent of it is about Artilira, and like yes, this is what she's known for. She wrote a poem about about her. She she created um, a poem about her her love dying and the man she loved so so deeply and was so passionate about. But her voice somehow gets a little bit lost in the way we talk about it, which is really unfortunate. And I'm, I haven't read Ghosts, uh, Ghosts and Throat yet. Um, I was saying earlier, I'm still in that stage where I feel guilty about uh, about leisure reading. So I haven't gotten to it yet. But um, I'm so glad that it exists, that that people are realising that, you know, this this woman's unfortunately because of the society we live in, even though we have this woman who, who poured her heart and soul onto onto this poem, we somehow still get preoccupied with, with the story that she's telling or the man that she's talking about. And yes, she's inherently connected to that, but she's a, a person in herself. Um, 
and you know she's so defined by I think Lisa Cohen said it she's so defined by the men in her life by mm-hmm. being Daniel O'Connell's aunt and being Artelia's wife um, and being that like scorned lover and like hell hath no fury like like Eileen Dove and that's grand I'm okay with that this, um, this is something that, that keeps coming up and I, I we, we've mentioned this before uh, on one of on one of our live events it's very hard to find it when you anytime you look up information on Maud Gone who had a very eventful life did a lot of interesting stuff yeah. was, a, was a character in her own right inevitably a, a guy who she didn't really want to have that much to do with they had, they had a kind of a friendship but his name keeps popping up in the story of her life he just yeah he is the poet you may have heard of wb yates but i mean it, the idea is <laughs> you can you can read a lot about yates without hearing about these the women in his life necessarily uh, whereas it seems every sentence about maud gone this boy turns up and he has like projected his, his himself on onto her life um after posthumously that she can't her story can't be told that him turning up it's not something she ever asked for and it's, it's very frustrating similarly there's um with there is a lot of women who are very have a very important lives hilda moriarty one of the first women to actually um or one of the first catholic women to study medicine in in ireland and was very successful any story about her always turns into a story about paddy kavanagh yeah Fucking poets, man. Poets, man. <laughs> they Don't ever even... leave women alone. <laughs> <And> <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, Arthur O'Leary wasn't the poet. Eileen yeah. Dove was. And mm. and the one thing that makes that Mark Serrat is different is like we don't have like it's so it's so crazy. We don't have a portrait of her, right? She was she was very well known, but nobody ever thought to get her to sit for a portrait. We have pictures of Arthur O'Leary. We know how handsome he was, but we don't have a portrait of Eileen Dove. But we have her words. And we have what she wrote and, and it is immortal and it is forever that we that we have this. And we have it amazingly, some some people say that it's it's because of professional keeners, Manal Quinta, in the late seventeen nineties, early eighteen hundreds, that they they kept this poem alive. Uh, and there was a scribe and a poet called Eamon Duval, and he met a keener, uh, a band Quinta called Nora Nihindle from Mill Street, just down the road from McCroom, and that she um she had preserved the poem and he transcribed it. He was the first one to write it down, but it's Eileen's words. And we don't, we don't have that for so many of these women that get erased from history or just get folded into these stories of men. Like you're right. You're right about Maud Gone. You know, you know what my favorite Maud Gone fact is that has nothing to do with Yates. She, is it the monkey fact? No, she and her, um, she and her friend, Charlotte Despar, uh, were really active in feeding the homeless in Dublin, and particularly in and around the uh, the 1913 lockout uh, and the likes. Yeah. But uh, of course, you know, in, in Dublin, we'll give anything a nickname. Uh, yeah. So their nicknames, Charlotte Despar and uh, Maud Gone, their nicknames were Charlotte Desperate and Maud Gone Mad. Uh-huh. Hey. Um. Waka waka. <laughs> Do you want to hear my favourite Maud Gone story that I may have or may have not told already on the podcast? Go for it. Always. Um, so because she was a woman of a certain class, it was sort of steamed unsightly for women uh, of, of the upper echelons of society to be out without an escort. And Morgan was having none of that. So she got herself to a little monkey that would sit in her shoulder and that would be her escort. And there's a portrait of her with the monkey in Oris Nicktron. <laughs> class. This is, yeah. And this is, I think when we talked, this this came up, I think you mentioned this when we were doing a live show in Cork, which Cork keeps coming up today. And I think I remember yeah. the time I, I misunderstood that because Yates famously had an operation which involved Oh yeah, monkey. Yates and monkey, that's not the story you think of, is it? Yes. <laughs> Yates had, had an operation to basically have um, bunk, um, elements of monkey testicles uh, either, um, been, I, I initially thought they were installed, but they're actually injected, was what you were saying, Patter? I wasn't saying anything about Yates's, <laughs> Yates's mon- monkey gland operation. To, yeah, yeah, Yates had a monkey gland operation. I'm not sure if that was inspired or not by <laughs> by the fact that Maud so, had a monkey close to her at all times. No one, this is why can, no one writes a righty poem about WB Yeats. Yeah. This is why oh, can, no can one I just, wrote that. I hate, to, I hate to be Yates's advocate in this, but like Oliver Singen Gogarty may be behind that story. And as a lot of people know, he fucking hated Yates. But listen, <laughs> counterpoint may be deserved. Like, he was a big weirdo. As yeah, I yeah, said yeah. before on this podcast, definitely with clammy hands. Well, Gogarty. Unfounded, but I'm saying it again. Gogarty, um, it was also a, um, like, 
well, was it was a, was a troublesome figure as well. He well, obviously he had rivalries with um, Yates and Joyce, and also um, I think he had sued Paddy Kavanagh for libel for I think in the Green Fool. I think uh, Paddy Kavanagh alluded to the fact that he may have a mistress, and he was and Gowrie sued him for a hundred pounds. And the literary community in Dublin was so appalled they invented a prize to give to Paddy Kavanagh that year for exactly that amount. As I'm, I thought, I thought it was uh, I thought it was Kavanagh took the libel action against Gogarty. No, no, no. Kavanagh, Kavanagh took a different libel action against a, a ah. against a journal in the nineteen in the in, in the mid fifties. It was I think it was called um, there was a there was um, there was a literary journal in Dublin in the nineteen fifties, and they in which they wrote a feature on Kavanagh about how he was um, a round dodger and a troublemaker, and how, <laughs> and that he basically was. Um, they, they they portrayed him in a, in a very negative way, and he and he poorly advised. He took them to court, and they what they did is they got they they pulled out the big guns, and they got for their barrister, the former former Taoiseach, is Costello, isn't it? the Costello Costello was the one who who um, took down John A. Costello. Yeah, John A. Costello was the barrister that they they brought in, and he demolished uh, Kavanaugh in court. And he actually said that he probably should settle this out of court because when I take him to court, I'm going to demolish him in public, and everyone's <laughs> going to feel sorry for him because he was that kind of guy. He was a, he was a, regarded as a lethally effective barrister, and he interrogated him for two, for two Kavanaugh for two days solid, knowing that Kavanaugh would be wouldn't be able to sit on the bench without a drink, without a refreshment for very long. And he at one point he said that um. He asked him if he was a friend of Brendan Behan, and Kavanaugh said, no, I've, I have no time for that man. And then um, Costello produced a book, uh, one of Kavanaugh's books, uh, signed to my friend Brendan Behan on the day you helped me paint my house. <laughs> <laughs> Your friend, Paddy Kavanaugh. I think, I think what this is, is evidence that male poets are trash. And, they are, they are all uh, trash. Eileen Dove doesn't get enough credit. Oh my God, they're all fucking terrible. They're all, oh, pains in the hole. Paddy Kavanaugh, no one invited you to the dance? Maybe because you're weird. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, because you're like, your fingernails are covered in the stony grey soil of Monaghan. Just wash your fucking yeah. hands. And stop sitting on the ditch staring at people going to Billy Brennan's bar. Stop that. Maybe they'll invite you if you stop walking, weirdo. Oh. Just be normal and drink some fucking blood of the man you want. Yeah. Just, that, that, just just react to the react to these disappointments in life in a normal way by drinking blood and swearing revenge. But here's the thing, right? If Eileen Dove didn't get invited to the dance in Billy Brown's barn, she wouldn't give a fuck, okay? Because she's too busy being cool and being class, drinking blood, swearing revenge against Morris. Did she ever get Morris in the end? What happened to him? He died soon. Didn't he die early or something? uh, Art's Art's brother. So Art's brother was shot. Art's brother Con or Cornelius uh, shot Morris. He saw Morris at the window of a house uh, in Hammonds Lane in Cork City and he just, he shot three shots in through the window. Now bear in mind, this was back at the time when you had to reload a pistol. It took nearly a minute to load a pistol back up again and he shot him three fucking times through the window. What's your man doing just chilling uh, at the window washing a cup or something? I imagine the first shot put him down and Khan wanted oh, to yeah. make sure. But it's fairly it's fairly certain that Eileen Dove was behind getting Cornelius to swear revenge. And, I think. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't instantly kill it didn't instantly kill Morris. He uh, died two years later as a result of the wounds in the shooting. I was going to say Gargi makes an important forensic point in that the fact there's three bullets suggests that probably Khan may have been carrying one or two guns, but maybe Eileen Dove was next to him with another gun because your man wasn't standing around to be shot two more times after being shot once. He was probably crawling away. His buckshot, I think that the actual, if you had modern forensics at the time, you would have said there was two shooters. Ah, uh, there's never two shooters. Isn't that what they say? Yeah, no. Occam's razor. He just <laughs> shot him three times. I feel like if you got shot in the gut or something, you know, you'd be. Di- I, I'm not running away from that. I don't know. You might be rolling around a little bit, but you'd still be in the general vicinity and have time to. I don't know how you load a, an old old timey gun. Like, do you have to shove powder into it or yeah, something? Yeah, Blow yeah. Blow on it. Say a shove prayer. A ball and powder into it. And, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Listen, I know that would make a great final scene of the movie that Eileen Dove shot him, but like, yeah. I don't know. It's a bit. I don't want to be accusing her of, of murder. I'd say she'd like us. 
Listen, I mean, we know we know she she had it in mind, and we know it was it was was good enough for your man. But the fact he was shot three times and he didn't die in the spot, because I mean, if you think in that, if he if he was shot and the person had time to load for two more times, he would have had time to crawl away if he wasn't injured that badly. If he was injured badly enough to not be able to move, the other two shots would have killed him. Fucking LCSI motherfucker here. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm worried about that kind of speculation now. But yeah, listen, he was shot three times anyway. And I like the fact that he suffered for two years. I think Eileen would have enjoyed that, you Mm -hmm. know. See, I think he couldn't go out in the winter because there's a hole in his tummy or something. I don't know. She outlived him anyway. She outlived him by 25 years. And that's that's what's important here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's Jibs here from Pints of Malt. (laughs) So our podcast is basically group of Irish Nigerian lads who tell their stories growing up in Ireland as well as Nigeria and we share our experiences with all of y'all we also had a bit of comedy as well you know to get y'all laughing get y'all through the week in these tough times that we are in so y'all sit back and just you know enjoy the show as Jib said we're the Prince of Mott podcast you can find us on all streaming platforms including the Hesketh Network the poem, the poem, the poem. That's her legacy. Not revenge, yeah. not a dead uh, a dead magistrate called Abraham Morris, which is a bad guy's name if ever I heard. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, you can imagine him twirling a moustache. Yes, of course, because it was like, it was 1775. He may have, oh, he may not have had a moustache. He definitely had a wig though. He definitely wore, he definitely powdered oh, his powdered face wig. and yeah, wore a definitely. wig. Yeah, Mm-hmm. and used fucking lead to whiten his cheeks or something <laughs> that could have been what killed him off early now now you say that Definitely. You know, that to, could have been that gotcha. yeah. as opposed to Art O'Leary who just had like long dark hair and a moustache and was fucking gorgeous a big a big massive outlaw right yeah. Pouring around Cork on a big, nice, I'm assuming it was a black horse. It yeah, might have been a black horse. It? it might so not be a white, white horse. horse in the poem. I think, yeah. I think okay. she referred yeah, to it as a, as a, the horse had a star on the forehead. And I think this. Yeah, it did, yeah. So the legacy of, of this, as, as regarded as being this uh, masterpiece of, of 18th century and um, and something also like that, it was kept alive by the Keening tradition, which we mentioned last week in last week's episode. Mm-hmm. What is it? It's what is this poetic legacy? What are the the works that has influenced? What has this inspired in terms of the work since then? How has this been kept alive by by Irish language scholarship by other writers? Um, well, so many ways. Uh, I mean, Hunter S. Thompson used an excerpt from the English translation um, in in the Rum Diary. Mm-hmm. And he also, like, he uses it, like, this really, really influenced Thompson because uh, he he keeps mentioning a location that doesn't exist, a fictional location, a street called Kaya O'Leary uh, in his in his works, uh, in, in the Rum Diary in particular. Um, apparently, Queen Artie Lyra has influenced uh, Brandon O'Madigan, Sean O'Reilly, Pader O'Reilly, mm. even Seamus Heaney's Burial at Thebes has similarities. Um, there's a play, there's a fantastic play um, by Tom McIntyre. It's an absolutely brilliant play and it's Da Hanguk. It's Ingwailga Agus Merla in Irish and in English. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like there's loads of little versions of it. Like Dermot Bulger has a long poem called The Lament for Arthur Cleary. Uh, which makes numerous sort of soft and subtle references. And he turned that into a play as well. So there's a play called The Lament for Arthur Cleary. Of course, you mentioned A Ghost in the Throat by Dara Negrifa, which is an homage. Uh, like she just talks about, it's very autobiographical about how her mm-hmm. own life intertwines with the life of Eileen Dove. And she seeks to find out more about Eileen Dove. Um, there, was a, there was a postmodern film adaptation bilingual that was done by uh, Sinn Féin in 1975 mm-hmm. with Sean Bon Brannock as, as Art O'Leary. No way. And yeah, yeah, yeah. SBB yeah, in a he. SBB in a he, Mar, uh, Mar, Mar Art O'Leary. Uh, and then um, there was a modern adaptation. The story was um, adapted by our good friend Manchon McGann. Uh, and yeah. was adapted for the screen as a short film um, called Boss Art O'Leary. Um, and again, if you like, 
this just makes so much sense to me because Art O'Leary, it's not very explicit, but it's fairly obvious from the film that Art O'Leary in this is a traveller. And if you want to recreate how bad the penal laws were against Gaelic Irish Catholics at the time, you just have to look at how travellers are treated today to see how how Mm. grim it was. So it stars Lachlan O'Maran as Art O'Leary. And again, he crosses a gangster. The gangster says, I'm going to buy your horse. And if you don't sell it to me, I'll kill you. And then he decides to kill him anyway. And uh, it's again about the strong Eileen Dove is the main character in it. And it's about her quest for revenge and how she's bathed in blood. And that was on TG Carr a couple of years ago. But yeah, that's so, I mean, look, this... And people might recognize that actor. Lachlan O'Maran, yeah. yeah, he's the guy from the Board Bia commercials. He loves a bit of lamb. <laughs> Hot lamb dad. Hot lamb dad, yeah. Um, I think this is the most important poem in Irish. Mm-hmm. I just think full stop, it is. like I yeah, had this poem I, as a I reading concur. at my wedding. Like There's nothing more important. There are older poems. There are poems Sorry, with perhaps more... Sorry, I have a more... question. Did you have all of this or was it just a bit of this? First three stanzas. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a beaut like it's a love poem. Like it's a and it's not just like a oh, I love you, you're very nice and you have nice eyes. It's I want to ride the bones off you, do you know? And that's the kind of love you want, isn't it? But also she <laughs> keeps know? referring to him as her friend. In and not yeah, not in like in a just good friends way, but in the the suggestion that they're they're equal, that they're companions, that she yeah. they chose each other, that she wasn't just, you know she wasn't sold to him like a, in a, in a, an arranged marriage like a um like a piece of lifestyle. Yeah, there was nothing transactional about it. It was this, this, like you said, it's equals. They were, she was this powerful, headstrong woman and he was this powerful, headstrong man and together they were two peas in a pod. They were a pair and then part of her was ripped away and the pain she suffered and the love she had and continued to have um, for for Artie Lira. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that opening stanza, uh, it's just... There's there's nothing more powerful that's ever been written in Irish, mm. um, and it is and it shows exactly what their love was that it was not, it was not transactional. It wasn't an arranged marriage. Mukhraga dangintu, law davakahu, a kianti and varaki, hogmahul arachit, hogmakrik tanivchit, daily som charatlat is fado valilat. My steadfast love from the first day I saw you, by the market house gable end, my eye gave you a look. My heart shone out and I fled with you far from my friends and my home. Like, yeah. It's so beautiful. It's so, so powerful. Like, like we were saying, like we have great poets in Ireland and we have great poetry, but oh man, this is so overlooked. It's so, so good. Like I'd recommend anyone to get hold of it. There's a really good book. Um, and it's Poems of the Dispossessed. Is it Sean O'Toole has written that one? Or did he? He he worked with Kinsla on that one. Yeah, yeah. You can get it from Unchapel Hour, I'm sure they have copies of it. Um, but, but also... That contains uh, Queen Artillera with a translation also, if I'm not mistaken. And Duran's own translation of Queen Artillera is at mm. the back of Ghost in the Throat. And so, Fab. by all means, get, get your paws on that. We are hoping to get Duran on the show um, before Christmas. As she's currently having an absolute rock star moment, so her availability yeah. has been has been trimmed accordingly. But, um, but you've get, you've given it the kiss of death. There, we'll never get her now. No, 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 so no, no. We hope we <laughs> it's never get her. We're still we're still waiting to talk about the other fucking letters that aren't in the Gaelic alphabet. Like Listen. four years later. <laughs> No, we we started off. We did we did an episode on the letter V. We we looked at letter A and and, and fathers. But the fact is, there's not that much to say about the letters X and Y. I mean, we could probably cover them in one particular episode. But what I yeah, they can go in the bin. What I'm proposing That's instead it. to Dust is it. we are going maybe I was thinking rather than rather than doing separate episodes in the letter X and J is having an actual look at at Devaldra's dictionary and how the how 1959 how, how there was procurement and typewriters it, it, it just so happened the letters X and Y came to, into the Irish language and the, into the uh, into the folklore the same year that the Irish Civil Service and other systems started using A4 That's A4 paper bull- 1959 bullshit. what? it's bullshit they were always in the Irish language they just they, they got erased out of the Irish language at one yeah. stage <clears throat> but they I were, think Pater the, has a good point the there. Reintroduction the reintroduction was, was linked to procurement. That is fucking fascinating. That's tell me more stories of the civil service procurement process. <laughs> 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 Listen, we managed to get four years of shite out of this podcast. Did People they listen to it? Maybe they no, will. 
people sense. really want to listen to how they had to go out and get three tenders because because the contract for the typewriters was above five hundred pounds, and they, oh yeah, this is what oh this, this is premium content. <laughs> but it's it's, li- it's linked it's, it's linked to the, but it is linked to the disappearance of on Chloe Gaelic from signposts and other things, and we all know everyone loves talking about signage. I love signage. I'll, I'll talk signage about signage. And, the cows come yeah. up. But well, let's not talk about... We don't need to talk about DeWalder's dictionary. We need to be looking to the future. We need to be looking at Ominon's dictionary. Because what's in Ominon's dictionary? But... What is it? Pop up Pana, tell us. Yeah, so you, this is right. There, your boy's in the dictionary. Pop-up Gwaltucht is... It's official. It's official, Tom. It's a folklore. It's in there. We are ab- You're legitimized now. Your legacy is complete. We are absolutely delighted to see that, that Patter and Oscar's work has been recognized by the, the 2020 folklore. I'm absolutely thrilled for you both that, the, that you got this level of acknowledgement. And my, my idea was that we would do a series of episodes on the, the evolution of the folklore in the last hundred years to show how we got to the stage where you can finally be included in it. Because this is obviously the pinnacle. Like this yeah. is the language this is, is peaked. All other dictionaries no. can stop. <laughs> Hold word. the presses, guys. Pop ups in the dictionary. That's it. The words are finished now. <laughs> there was no more words are required. Okay. <laughs> that is so cool, though. I'm really proud of you guys. Like it's, it's. I mean, it's unsurprising, really, because like it is is so ingrained in like Gael lexicon now. Like it's part of the the lexicon. When you talk about the pop up, everyone knows what you're talking about. When you talk about the pop up in English, they're like, "Is there a new, is there a new Vietnamese pop up store in in the Ilex Venture?" <laughs> no, it's the pop up Gaelic. That's what you're talking about. Um, so it's it's unsurprising in a sense, but it's just super cool to see it right there in print on the pages of the dictionary. Not that I think that dictionaries legitimize words because there's so many words that are in popular lexicon that aren't necessarily in a dictionary and that's a politicized thing in itself, but it's still really cool. It's still cool though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. Like it's not it's not the legitimization we craved. Like that's not what it, this is about at all. But it's nice. It's good. And it's yeah. sort of representative of how great dictionaries are. They don't give things a seal of approval, but they are representative of what's out there. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's really cool to have that recording of it now and that, that that's, you know, forever there when you're dead and gone. No, sorry, didn't mean that's to get it. grim on it. But like, no, like, no. like, but like, like Eileen Dovney Hunnell, exactly. we will never die. We will never die. And on that note, I want to thank you both <laughs> for joining me for this discussion of Queen Artillera and related topics, <laughs> including A4 paper and powder getting in the dictionary. And so until... The next time, it's a slon from me. It's a slon worm shit. And a slon from me. Hey, it's Derek again. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We are delighted and honoured that you come, you join us every Friday and that you welcome us into your headphones. Uh, we're just delighted that we get to keep making the show. Uh, it's Garoding again. I just want to also say thanks so much to Kirsten Shield for doing the artwork and Brian for making us sound professional when we're not. Thanks so much, Brian. We appreciate it. <laughs> you can get the podcast uh, anywhere that you get podcasts, um, but you can get in touch with us at motherfucklordheadstuff.org. And if you want to support the podcast and get access to unique and exclusive chats with uh, guests, Q&As with uh, content creators, and even discounts for some of Kirsten Shields' amazing art and so much more, you can subscribe at patreon.com forward slash Derek. And if you're not interested in having monthly payments going out of your bank account or your PayPal, uh, you can actually get a massive discount, uh, 16% if you subscribe annually. Uh, that option is available, patreon.com forward slash Derek. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. I want to say no, no one talked about no one talked about A4 paper, Derek. You shoehorned that in like you shoehorned in Georgine. <laughs> Lads, do you know what that Zencaster doesn't take, Fabus? You don't know my pain.